Welcome to this episode of the Connecting Faith to Life podcast. I'm Trey Rhodes, the Connections Pastor at Northwood Baptist Church here in North Charleston, South Carolina. In just a few moments, our lead pastor, Dr. Tommy Metter, will be joining the conversation as well. In our crazy and chaotic world, our hope is that these few minutes will help you stop and reflect on your relationship with Jesus as you learn to connect Christ-centered faith to your everyday life. Well, it's hard to believe, but we are on episode 33 of the Connecting Faith to Life podcast. And I got to tell you, I thoroughly enjoy coming here every week and and uh, having you with us because your listenership matters. Uh, and so I just uh, ask you to share on your social media. And what's great is by doing that, you get to help people have an opportunity to grow in their faith as they listen. So when you finish listening, listening this week, share it. Uh, Pastor Tommy, um, lots of listeners have been through some sickness or injury, and it was tough to get through. And and today, what, uh, what why don't we talk about my near-death experience and, and maybe some lessons I learned? Yeah, I think that's a good idea, Trey, because you did have a very interesting experience. Before we get to your experience, though, I want to ask you a question. Sure, man. Are you forgetful? I am. What have you forgotten? <laughs> Recently? <laughs> uh, I forgot that I was supposed to help fix dinner last night. Did you eat? We did because I ran home and never let my wife know that I had forgotten. <laughs> I got it done before she got there, so it was all right. So why do you think you are forgetful? Is because you're getting old? They say that we have too much information in our brains. That's what it is. It's yeah. not because of your age, but because your brain is so full of stuff that you can't help but to forget, right? That's what they say. I, I agree. You, you have a pretty big brain. You're a pretty smart guy. I hope so. Yeah, I, I, I'm getting a little bit more forgetful, and I, I would like to say it's because of the same reason that you are forgetful, because my brain's so big and there's so much up there. I don't know if that's true or not, but, man, I, I just find myself forgetting things. I, I, You know this because you experience it most Sundays. I, uh-huh. I forget names. Oh, yeah. Right? I can look it's at rough. somebody and know who you are, but all of a sudden that name just slips out of my head. I have to ask you on Sunday mornings when, when we have people who come down and join our church. That you know. I, I know. I yeah. mean, I've met them. I've talked to them. I've shaken their hands. I've called them by name several times, but just in that moment, I've exactly. got so much going on in my brain that I, who is that? I just like, <laughs> I never met that person in my life. Right. So man, just, just those momentary, uh, moments of forgetfulness, they seem to just come up all the time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's no fun forgetting things, is it? Oh boy. It's rough. It can be, and it, yeah, it can be hurtful and it, it can be embarrassing. Oh, there man. you go. That's the word I want. Yeah, yeah. It's embarrassing when you forget somebody's name that you're supposed to know and you've called them by their name a million times and all of a sudden, who are you? I don't, it's just, it's just, it's just a bad thing. <laughs> Here, here's something that I often forget, and I hate to admit this, but I bet many people listening to this podcast forget this as well. Sometimes I forget how powerful God is. Mm. Wow. You ever forget that? Yeah. Especially when you get in the middle of a situation. Yeah. You yeah. think it's all up to you. Yeah. You, you know, Trey, I, I, was, I spent a long time in seminary. You did too. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the opportunity to... Uh, do a PhD degree. And so, man, I was trained in seminary to analyze, right? Mm, right. To analyze the Bible, to analyze uh, arguments. I was trained to research and write and all those things. And so, so um, I can be very brainy, right? Very cerebral in my faith, having to think things through and all those kinds of things. And, and I think because my bent sometimes is to be so cerebral in my approach to theology and faith that, again, sometimes I forget Jesus is more than just a subject to study. Amen to that. Right? Yes. I mean, he is the, the, the ever-present, ever all-powerful God who works in marvelous and mysterious ways. Mm. And so for me, I need 
to talk about things like we're talking about today, mm-hmm. just to be reminded of the power of God. Amen. Because in your life, you experience the power of God in a very tangible, in a very real way, because you really did almost die. Yes, I did. You had a, a legit near-death experience. So what I want to do today, because I think this is going to encourage a lot of people, and I think this is going to help people to remember that we serve a powerful God. What I want to do today is a little bit different. I want you to share your story with us. I know there are people in our congregation who've heard your story, but many haven't. Mm -hmm. Uh, And many who are listening to this have not heard your story. We've kind of alluded to it on the podcast several times, but I want you to share your story with us, your near-death experience. And then uh, I want us to talk about some lessons you've learned about God and about faith through that near-death experience. So tell us, man, what happened? Sure. Um, Well, I was getting ready to preach on a Sunday morning, uh, some 16 years ago, and um, and that on that day, uh, I was uh, preparing a video. So we'd watch a little video clip in, in the middle of the message. And I looked at my wife, and uh, I don't remember this part now. This is what she tells me. I looked at my wife, and I said, I need help. Mm. And she says, okay. I said, I need help. And she says, okay. And I took off the headset. And then when I took off the headset, I fell to the ground. Wow. And uh, You remember none of that. I, oh, no, I don't remember any of this. I can only tell you what my wife told me. Mm. And I fell to the ground, and I began to convulse. I lost all my bodily functions. Uh, I turned blue. Mm. I turned absolutely blue as a Mm. grape is what she calls it, blue as a grape. Uh, And um, anyway, in the midst of that, they didn't know what was going on, obviously. They called EMS. Thank goodness the EMS was around the corner. They came. They were right there within less than five minutes. Your son, Ivy, actually performed CPR on you, didn't he? Yeah, and that's what I, that's what, in that five minutes, he actually began to do CPR. We had just had a CPR class and he knew how to do it. And they were telling him to give chest compressions and he wouldn't do it. He said, no, he's, he's breathing in and out. We don't need to give chest compressions. If he, you know, although it was a gasp, it wasn't really breathing in the strictest sense. He said, you know, his heart's beating. So as long as heart beating, we don't need to do chest compressions. Um, so anyway, they kept on yelling at him, do chest compressions and he didn't. Um, so he protected me from anybody else trying to do it. Mm. Finally, they got there. They didn't know what was going on. They worked on me for 20 minutes. They supposed to stabilize you for that, before you leave, but they didn't, they couldn't. So they took me in the ambulance, headed to Roper hospital in downtown Charleston. And, um, by the time I got there, they could not figure out what was wrong with me. Mm. They thought it's, it's gone. They thought I was on drugs. It was, they thought I was a drug addict. Wow. That was the first thought. And uh, they all, of course, started into my wife about how much, did, how many drugs does he do? What does he do? And of course, I didn't take any. I yeah. hardly, hardly didn't even take aspirin or Advil or anything. And um, anyway, so finally convinced them that I was not a drug addict. And uh, one of the doctors, uh, Doctor Blue, said, "Let me run him down there." So they ran me down to what they call the CAT scan room. And then what it does is it takes slices of your body. Right. And those slices, all of a sudden, they got around my heart and they saw this huge mass. And it was a mass of moving fluid. And mm. they realized that it, 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 the, the aorta had dissected, which means it literally is just imagine a knife had cut down the middle of my aortic uh, uh, ascending aorta, mm. which is the one that goes, the part of the aorta that goes into the heart. Anyway, so in the meantime, they had dunked my head down in ice cold water mm. and, to say, and literally saved my brain, got my body down to about 81 degrees right. to save my brain. Which uh, there's there's still discussion whether they did or not, <laughs> but but, uh, but the point is that they did that. Uh, they rushed me to the emergency room. They called a doctor, Doctor Peterson. Doctor Peterson was teaching Sunday school at Holy Cross. He came out of uh, Sunday school and came there. He said, "Is he still alive?" He is a cardiothoracic surgeon that's done over six thousand operations. 
And they said, yes, he is. He said, keep, just keep him alive until I get there. I've never seen one alive. Wow. So you're uh, not supposed to survive no, what happened to you. Most people don't survive. They don't even get to the hospital. Wow. Uh, so anyway, long story short, they did the operation. Uh, they repaired my aorta. They told my wife that we can repair the aorta. He's, he's still breathing. So obviously he's still alive, but you understand he's not there. He's not going to be there. He's going to be a vegetable. He will never talk. He will never see. He's blind. We already know he's blind for sure. It's affected that part of his brain. And they went through the whole process Said he's not, you know, he's going to be a vegetable and you're going to have to take care of him. She said, save the heart and we'll take care of the rest later. Wow. So they did. Uh, over the next uh, months, I was in the hospital and did a bunch of, you know, rehab. Uh, I was in a coma for day, uh, several days. Mm. Uh, and in that time, we had the, the people of God praying for me and uh, had pastors come pray over me. And, and uh, I'm here today, you know, as yeah. a result of, I believe, the prayers of God's people. So uh, it was a miracle. They didn't expect me to live. And if I did live, I would be a vegetable. Yeah. So, um, and you've done more than live. You've thrived. Oh, yeah. I, I, I feel I mean, like you have some health issues, but... I mean, other than a few minor things, you're perfectly healthy. When I got to nine years, my doctor said, they told me I'd only live, survive seven years. Mm. They said, nobody's ever lived past seven. So you are actually looking at someone that is the longest surviving aortic dissection, uh, ascending aortic dissection uh, survivor in the world. Wow. That's, that's who I am. You are very unique. Exactly. There's no one that has gone as long no as I No one like you. And it's all, I believe it's God's grace every yeah. day. But so that's just another conversation. Sure. I know this isn't the scope of this, this conversation, but what was it like to live every day with a death sentence? Because they told you. you I felt that way too. Yeah. 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 Well, I tell you what, <laughs> you did a lot of things that, uh, you know, you'd go to the doctor and I'd say, I want to ride a roller coaster. He says, it doesn't matter. Ride, ride it. <laughs> you know, yeah. we don't know if you're going to be alive tomorrow. So just have fun. <laughs> do what you want to do. So, you know, we did a lot of things like that. and uh, But also it gave you a very clear sense of purpose purpose yeah that what i have left i want to pour into my children what i have left i want to pour into my lord what i have left i want to pour into his church what i have left whatever moment you know if i didn't wake up the next day and every morning i would wake up and be shocked that i was Mm, alive wow shocked wow so it it is a it's a different feel Mm. and when he said that nine years in all of a sudden it's like it's got yeah he told you you've got clean bill of health yeah just just he said you're in god's hands you're gonna die it's not gonna be this (laughs) so there you go and this event, right, this this was, it was more than nine years ago this happened. This is, how long ago was this? This is uh, 16 and a half 16 years. 16 and a half years ago. Yeah, I knew it was quite a while. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And God sustained me through it all. Yeah, and and I know, again, we're going to get into, I'm, I'm asking questions that aren't really related to what we're talking about, but just I think about the faith of your wife mm-hmm. as well during that time, right? Yeah, the, what's, what's amazing is that God used her in my life, mm-hmm. and as a caregiver, what she went through, you know, I'm just there. I'm just right. existing. I'm trying to struggle day to day, trying to stay alive. But she's watching me go yeah, through all this, yeah. and just the hurt and the emotional pain that she went through was huge. Yeah, but she and didn't so give up on you, right? Never, she told the doctor, ever. save your heart, we'll take care of it. I mean, <laughs> She told me, she told me uh, one time, I said, honey, you just need to leave and let me just go, because yeah. you don't need to be, because uh, I thought I was going to be bound to a bed the rest of my life, and um, which she wouldn't have left anyway. Mm. But she says, you just need to shut up and let me take care of you. <laughs> she doesn't say that word. That's a cuss word to her, so... That was a big deal. So I did. I didn't say it again after that. Wow. Mm. Well, let's talk about four lessons you've learned from that near-death experience. Lesson one, you learned that God's grace is sufficient. Yeah, I I think as a believer in Christ, I'd always thought about God's saving grace. And certainly we need to think about God's saving grace. I mean, it's amazing that he saved us. But God also has what I call sustaining grace, Mm -hmm. 
where he sustains us in the midst of whatever we're struggling through with. Um, and I saw him do that moment by moment in a real sense. Yeah. Uh, I literally didn't know those first few weeks, especially if I was going to take another breath. I mean, that was how close it was. And, um, you know, the most difficult thing, and this is funny, going back to that nine-year thing, is that at that moment I realized that I was going to live, and I had been preparing to die. Wow, wow. And so I had to change my whole attitude, and I had to say, God, uh, now that I'm going to live, I've got to change the way that I think. I'm going to live for a while. Maybe, you know, might be a lot longer. Uh, and, you know, the doctors, as I said, thought I had about seven years. Now I'm at nine. And um, ha- being the longest surviving uh, person in the world with an aortic, ascending aortic dissection, um, you know, I found out that I needed his grace, uh, not only for forgiveness, but I need his grace to survive. Yeah. I, I really believe in a physical sense I, that he's there every moment of the day and he's lifting me up every moment of the day. Doesn't mean I'm perfect. Doesn't mean I, I do everything right because I don't. But his grace is still there. His yeah. grace is sufficient. And the tough days, and the tough days, they're still tough days. I wish I could tell you that, oh, it's all behind me and everything's done. It's not. And there's still tough days, and it's those days that I have to rely on its grace like I never have mm. in my life before did. Yeah. I didn't even understand what that meant. Yeah. You know, you just live in life. Yeah. Um, I, I, I use this scripture, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, mm. over and over again. Mm. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Yeah. And uh, that was one of the first scriptures that I began to claim when I got out of the hospital because I felt so weak. Yeah. Couldn't even walk. And um, so God's power was rested in me because of my weakness. Mm-hmm. And it was a blessing to see him use me. And over those years after that, we saw hundreds come to Christ. Right, right. Yeah, our church, we baptized, and, and, and the church grew and other things. So, you know, God continued to use me. And that that was him saying, because I remember asking my mom, I said, Mom, you think anybody would mind if I, because I didn't think I'd ever walk again. Uh, do you think anybody mind if I preached from a, a wheelchair? Mm. You know, mm. she said, "Ah, that won't be a problem." Mm. I never had mm. to. So mm. I never had to. Mm. So I'm very thankful for that. But that's a powerful reminder that a lot of people need to hear that God's grace is sufficient. Right? He was gracious to save you. Mm-hmm. Right? But right now, for all of us who are listening today, He is gracious to sustain us. Yes. No matter where you find yourself in life, if it's illness, if it's tragedy, if it's a broken marriage, whatever it might be. God's grace is sufficient. He cares about you in the moment. Mm -hmm. And in the moment, it might not seem like it, right? Because there are moments you thought you were going to die. But in the moment, God was sustaining you, giving you what you needed in that moment. He's ever present. Well, I had prepared, like I said, I had prepared myself to die. I I had not prepared myself to live. Mm. And so it was then that I had to change my whole attitude. And and literally, I would open my arms and say, God, I receive you. I'd physically open my Mm. arms like this. And Mm. I would say, Lord, I need your grace today. I can't survive without you. It was real. God's grace is sufficient. Second lesson you learned is God's strength is available. Yeah. Um, when you go through these kind of things, and I guess when I see people having gone through, having been a pastor, you see people go through mm-hmm. these things all the time, having a stroke, having to come back and those things. Because yeah. I had what's called an ischemic stroke as a result of the oxygen not getting to my spinal column and my brain as it should have. That's what caused me to have the inability to walk at first and not be able to move my arms at first and the breathing and all those things take place that I couldn't breathe. And so what I found out is it's hard to make a comeback. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> it's, I not, bet. it's not just you lay in the bed long enough and then you start walking and then you start moving and then you, you know, it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. It is super, super hard. And uh, if you can be a, imagine me being a normal man in every way, strong, 
always going, clear thinking, walking, running, swimming. I mean, I did it all. I loved outdoor activity with the kids. You know, I would, you know, that's just what we did. We'd go camping and all these things. And in a moment, mm. in a moment, you become a quadriplegic. Yeah. They wow. can't even breathe. Wow. Wow. They can't even breathe on their own. Um, you wake up. You can't, you can't move your neck. You can't turn your head. Your arms mm. are incapacitated. Your legs, you know, I couldn't figure out what, when I first woke up, I couldn't even figure out what was going on. So that's how bad it was. Mm. I, I remember when they finally took the tube out, I looked at my wife and I said, what happened? I didn't even know what happened to me. Mm. You know, I had no earthly idea. She tried to explain it. I didn't get it. I had to ask her four or five more times. Finally, I started to get it. Um, but anyway, in the middle of all that, you know, I couldn't even, I, when I had the tube in, I couldn't even communicate. I couldn't move my hand to write on a notepad to say what happened. I would just look at people. That's mm. all I could do. It was like yeah. I was trapped in my body. Mm. Um, anyway, so in the midst of that, what I had to do is I had to come back from all that. Right. And that took work, extreme amount of work. That took physical therapy. They would, they would literally put me on a bar and pull my legs forward. Mm. And I would tell, I called my mom one day, say, mom, I'm walking. Well, she came down to watch and it was not walking. I was on two <laughs> bars. I was hanging on for dear life and they would grab my feet with a rope. It was socks on them and pull my foot forward. And I told her that I was walking. Because for you, that was tremendous progress. That was huge progress. Yeah. I couldn't, I could, before that, I couldn't even stand up. When I get upright, I would, I would start to scream and holler and pass out. Oh, wow. It was, I couldn't even stand oh, up wow. right. Yeah, mm. it was unbelievable because my heart couldn't pump blood to my right. head. So anyway, it was just all those things. And so coming back from all that was just a long, hard process. And once I got to the hospital, I found out, you know, you still have to, you have, still have to continue to recover. Just because you're out of the hospital doesn't mean that you don't have a lot of work to do. Right. I went to a place called Fitness Together and, and two guys named Josh and Brian just poured their lives into me for over the next year and a half got me strong again. When I first got there, for instance, I, they put the bar so I could do leg presses. I could not lift the bar, which was mm. 21 pounds mm. or whatever it mm. was. Couldn't lift the bar with both of my legs. Mm. And so then they got me up so I could, you know, do 80, 90, hundred pounds, which is not a lot, but for yeah. me, that was huge. Yeah. So, you know, it was just over and over again. I remember telling my wife uh, that I was going to ride down to fitness together because it's only about a mile from my house on my bicycle. She says, you are not. And I said, I am. I didn't. But later on, I did. There you go. Towards the end of that time, I could ride down to fitness together instead of her having to drive me mm. there. So mm. anyway, it was just amazing. But it just took so much effort. Yeah. And I, over and over again, would quote these two scriptures. And I know there's a lot of discussion. Oh, that's out of context. But for me, it doesn't matter. It was your context. It was my context. <laughs> right. I can do all things through Christ yeah. who strengthens me. I would do these little things with my arms and do bicep stuff. And I'm telling you, I couldn't do it. Yeah. And I would just say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then I would quote Isaiah 40, 31. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Mm. They shall mount up mm. the wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk. This yeah. is the big one for me and not faint. Because at yeah. that moment, just standing up, I was passing yeah. out. So yeah. it was a big deal. And so that took a long time to get, get back there. And without the strength of God flowing through me, I don't think I would have yeah. ever done it. Yeah. And I had to depend. Again, that goes back to the grace part, sufficient grace that I needed for that day. Yeah. In that weakness, right? In the weakness you experienced, mm -hmm. learning about the sufficiency of his grace, mm -hmm. your faith undoubtedly was strengthened many times over because of that weakness, because you had no other choice but to depend on God, right? Yeah. We, we were praying that I'd walk. And uh, the nurse uh, worked so hard, bless her heart, her name was Robin. Not our Robin, yeah. another Robin uh, uh, that works at the... Uh, that actually our Robin knows. But anyway, another story for another day. But the point is that she would work so hard to figure out how I could move my leg because mm -hmm. I couldn't move them at all, at all. 
And so um, she would figure the things out, and I would sit on the side of the table. She'd make me do things, nothing, nothing. And <laughs> one day, we'd been praying for God to help me walk, and, and uh, she knew that. And then um, my leg bumped forward, mm, mm. and she cussed. <laughs> she could not believe it. She said, blankety blank, I can't believe that. That's never, I've never seen anything like that before. And so then she said, you know, we can do something. And wow. then that was the beginning. That was wow. the beginning of really starting to work out. But still, it was a long process, depending on the strength of God, every single yeah. day. You learned through that process, God's grace is sufficient. You learned that his strength is available. Thirdly, you learned to have mercy for those with lengthy medical issues. What do you mean? Yeah, well, when I was a pastor, and we understand this, it's not that we don't have sympathy or empathy for people, but it's like, you know, let's get them through this. It's, it's a more of a, you know, let's get them, you know, how, how can we help them get through this? Well, it's not always just getting through it. Right. Um, I had just zero mercy, and I almost bragged about the mercy. You know, my gift is not mercy. never has been and never will be. <laughs> mm-hmm. But my gift was, was not mercy, and I would kind of brag about it. Well, you know, my gift's not mercy, so, you know, yeah. get up out of that bed and don't, don't complain. And um, uh, I would go to seniors' houses, and they would tell me their aches and pains, and, you know, I'm going, Let's move on. Right, 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 right. Anyway, but uh, after this, I'm telling you, you have a heart for people that hurt. Yeah. You have a heart for people that hurt. Um, And, you know, I may be not gifted in mercy, but I do have mercy. Yeah. And instead of priding myself on how unmerciful I was and uh, how I was just get up and can do and pull yourselves up by your bootstrap stuff, I realized that Jesus, I did a Bible study right right after I got out of the hospital on mercy. And when Jesus healed somebody, they always asked for his mercy mm-hmm. for them to be healed. And I said, so am I going to be Trey Rhodes, the lift yourself up by your bootstrap American, or am I going to be Trey Rhodes, the guy who wants to be like Jesus and show yeah. mercy to people? Mm, that's good. And, um, you know, I, I do have mercy now, you know, and I never had it before. And uh, I hate that I had to go through this to learn it. Right. But I can tell you uh, – uh, I'm still not perfect, and I still do some of that. But, uh, you know, Jesus was very clear. Uh, Jesus placed a huge import on mercy. He said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And I think, you know, just this idea of mercy and being a merciful person it, uh, it had a huge impact on my life to have a heart and care for people when they were hurting and when they were in the most difficult of situations. Yeah. And uh, the struggles that you go through. You know, I would see somebody at the store, for instance, and they, had, they weren't church a week before. And I'd, hey, how are you? Then we'd get away from them, and I'd look at Kelly, and I'd say, yeah, they weren't in church Sunday. Mm. Instead of being thankful that they were able to get up and get Get out, out they might not have been out of the house for weeks, and they spent an hour at the store and exhausted after that. Right, right. You know, and uh, I don't do that anymore. I look at them and say, man, I'm so glad you got to get out of the house. I know Mm. that was a blessing for you. That's good. You know, so those are kind of, that's what I'm talking about, merciful. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I've never had any major physical uh, illness whatsoever been blessed with good health and and so I, I can understand what you're saying right mm-hmm. that that when you're blessed with good health it's it's hard to to sympathize with those who are struggling but mm-hmm. when you've gone through what you've been through you know what it's like to hurt you know what it's like to, to struggle and that that changes your perspective and and we all need to have more mercy on those who are hurting uh, mm-hmm. because man it's real the struggle is real like you said just to get out of bed and get out of the house for some is a really big deal mm-hmm. and 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 for uh, those of us who are in good health, not taking for granted the good health that God has given us, right? Mm-hmm. So certainly, uh, last lesson you 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 learn from your experience, and this is huge. God's people really do make a difference when they pray. Yeah, 
I say it this way. When I was at my lowest moment, when no one thought that I was going to make it, that was when they cried out the loudest for God to spare my life. Mm. I didn't know it. Yeah. I was in a coma. I was, I mean, I didn't know. I had no earthly idea. I've come to find out that a hundred people were in the waiting room. Basically they were singing and praying and crying out to God for me. Why me? I don't know. You know, (laughs) I've been, I've been places where good people were passing away and, you know, there might've been some praying and a little bit of weeping, but this was just uh, one of those times where people, God's people, I mean, we had pastors come in, we had people come from all over the area. Uh, I had been in Utahville, South Carolina. So I was involved in uh, Berkeley and Orangeburg County. I was involved in Charleston County, people from all over the area come in and praying for me, praying over me. I didn't know it, you know? So what I'm trying to get at, it wasn't like it was some psychosomatic thing where I heard them pray and I said, well, psychosomatically, I, I'm going to get better. And then I started to get better. I didn't know it. Yeah. Wow. So it was, it was the people of God surrendering to God and his people prayed. And, and in my situation, in God's sovereignty, God heard and answered. I don't understand all that because I know that there have been people that have been prayed for and not made it. Right. And so I don't understand, and I don't think we ever saying, uh, ever understand the sovereignty of God. But in my situation, it was his sovereignty to heal. But I believe he called his people to pray. Mm. I believe God, God restricts himself to the prayers of his people when it comes to doing his work. And when he calls his people to pray, it's for a reason. Yeah, absolutely. And for whatever reason... You know, he said, call, pray for Trey. And then later on, they had pastors come down. I do remember this just like a like looking through a fog. But I do remember when the pastors came down, they gathered around the bed. They anointed me with oil and prayed over me right there. And it was Southern Baptist pastors here in Charleston Baptist Association and, uh, and several other deacons and leaders in the churches. But anyway, they, they came and did that. And I'm telling you, you know, just them doing that in faith, believing. I remember the prayers about, we believe you're going to heal this man. Mm. And I was just, uh, you know, I, I didn't know what I still did. I couldn't talk again, the tubes down my throat. I can't say, I can't communicate at all, but, but God's people calling to pray made a huge difference. And so here's my point. When God calls you to pray, pray. Uh, and I've done that over, over and over again. Sometimes somebody's, you know, you find out something on Facebook or somebody calls you on the phone or whatever, you know, stop and pray. I mean, who knows what God, God if God has told you to pray, go ahead and do it. Yeah. Um, and you know, it, it makes a difference and maybe Absolutely. that person doesn't know you're praying, but God knows it. And that's mm. what, that's what I went through. So, um, there's, there's power. And I think it's, there's huge power in the corporate prayer of God's people. When God's people gathered together in unity to ask God for something. And what Jesus said, I saw it happen when two or more gathered in his name, there he is in the midst. And, but my friend, the, the, he was in their midst yeah, absolutely. and that God did a work. Trey, it's a powerful story, and and I wish we had the time just to go on and on about your experience. I know there's much more that we could talk about, and just what you experienced in those months after uh, your near-death experience. For that person who's listening today who's struggling with health or struggling with something else but feels like they are at a point of near death, Mm -hmm. how would you encourage them, maybe in a sentence or two? Yeah, I would say, number one, you just got to rely on God like you never have before and uh, surrender to him. Uh, don't do anything different as far as your relationship with Christ. You know, I was not able to read, yeah. but uh, I, I kept the scriptures in my brain that I had had, and I just would say those over and over again. You know, I was not, could not comprehend reading. And so um, just whatever you can do, do. Yeah. Don't forget to pray yourself. Yeah. Don't forget to surrender to God's plan, whatever that might be. Don't give up on serving him. I never quit witnessing. I never quit sharing the gospel. I'd be going to the to the operating room, sharing the gospel with the mm. orderlies that mm. they were bringing me down. Mm. 
So, you know, just do the things that it means yeah. to be a follower of Christ yeah. and let God and his sovereignty deal with, with, with the rest of it. And, uh, so get out there and, 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 um, know that God cares, God loves you and that he has his best, uh, you know, for you, no yeah. matter what. There are some of us, maybe even many of us that will go through tremendous trials and struggles, but your trials and struggles do not exempt you from living faithfully That's for right. Jesus. That's exactly right. Sometimes the best God the best work God will do through you will be in the midst of those trials and struggles. I agree. So don't take your eyes off Jesus. Right? I really believe people wanted to see how I would respond. Absolutely. Now, absolutely. Know? Absolutely. And, and just secondly, just the reminder of, again, like we talked about at the beginning of the episode, God is a powerful God. He is. He doesn't choose to heal everybody in the same way, but he always, for those of us who follow Jesus, he always restores. He does. Right? In, in your case, he restored you in this life physically. Uh, you are still serving the Lord with good health. Um, some might not be restored in this life physically. God might choose to bring them home with him, but what a marvelous restoration that is. Amen. To Amen. be whole and home and with is, Christ. That is ultimate restoration. That's the goal. That's what we're looking toward, Amen. right? Amen. And so, so because we know that God's goal in our lives is restoration, that should compel us to live for him, even in the midst of tremendous trials and struggles. And, and so we hope, and just hearing um, Pastor Pop's story today has been an encouragement for you. And thanks for sharing that with us, Trey. Yeah, that, was, that was really good. I enjoyed and, it. and man, that was, that was powerful for me. So thank you for sharing that. And we hope that this has helped you today to be encouraged, to keep your eyes on Jesus, to know that you serve a powerful God, that no matter where you find yourself today, his miraculous power is available for Amen. you. Pray, seek him, trust him. He's at work. He is sustaining you right now. Uh, if you've liked what you've heard today, uh, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you can have new content delivered to your device every single week. And as Trey uh, reminded us at the beginning of the episode, share this with a friend. Get the word out about uh, this podcast. Help us to get some new listeners. And and we hope today that, as, as always, as you've listened to this episode, that this episode has helped you connect faith to life.